is an audio platform created to educate, inform, and empower women to take charge of their physical and mental health. Join Shalana Battle and her occasional guests as they discuss many issues and health topics that concern women. While many health tips and advice will be discussed on this platform by licensed professionals, it should not take the place of seeking help from your own physician or therapist. If you feel that you need professional advice or medical assistance, do not hesitate to contact your provider. Now, let's get to the show. Hello there, I am your host, Dr. Shalana Battle, and I just want to welcome you to another episode of The Eavesdrop, especially those of you who are returning. Thank you for your support. And those of you who are visiting the show for the first time, welcome. I hope that you enjoy the show and I would love for your continued support as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Listen, I have an awesome show topic and an even more awesome guest for you today. However, before we get into the show, your girl has some exciting and I think very scary news to share. So as many of you know, I am a women's health nurse practitioner. And one of the reasons I became a nurse practitioner is because I wanted more autonomy or more authority to be able to help women avoid illness and also to help people in my community find holistic pathways to wellness. Because in essence, that is what nursing is really all about. And I felt that as a nurse practitioner, I would have more opportunities to do this because I would be counseling women, counseling individuals in my community about how to prevent illness. So that way they stay out of the hospital. So I thought that this was a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to give back in such a great way and for the most part I have been able to achieve this however with experience I feel that healthcare is more focused on treating disease than it is caring for the whole person we often look at the disease and the disease process as becoming the person who has the disease we often forget to take into consideration all of the elements of that person in order to help them heal and prevent illness. Yes, medication is important and and it is very helpful in a lot of situations, but we often forget to integrate natural and holistic ways for people to achieve wellness. We forget to integrate who they are as individuals. We forget to integrate their social aspect. So all those things play a really big, important factor in wellness. And I feel like sometimes in the Western world, we get so caught up on diagnosing, uh, we get caught up on providing medications and making sure patients are compliant with their medications, compliant with labs and diagnostic studies that we forget to include who the person is into their healthcare. So I decided to create a space for women where I could help women find the motivation and tools that will help them achieve their physical and emotional goals as well as 
find holistic solutions to common gynecological concerns such as PCOS, PMS, and menopause. I believe that hormones and medications only place a patch on the overall issue at hand. And I feel like these conditions and so many other conditions can be handled holistically with the right amount of time, the right amount of patience, and the right amount of teamwork. And when I say teamwork, I mean between the patient and the healthcare provider. So one day I sat down and I just reflected on my job. I reflected on my career and I thought long and hard about how I would like to become that change that we need to see in medicine. And I really concentrate on how I can really help women. And I said to myself, well, a lot of women have what it takes at their fingertips already. They already know what to do. They already have an idea. Maybe I can become that catalyst that will help move things along or help motivate them to discover holistic solutions to their health concerns. I also wanted to be kind of like that middle person in between the doctor and the patient because one of the things I realized is that people will receive a diagnosis but they don't get the education that they need in order to make themselves better and I wanted to play a part where I'm able to actually sit down and educate patients about what it is that they need to do in order to heal. So after a lot of consideration I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to start a coaching program. So I would like to formally announce that I have started a new women's wellness coaching program. I would tell you a lot more about it, but we have a wonderful show ahead and I do not want to take up all of your time. But to learn more about the program for now, be sure to visit womanswellnesscoach.com. Again, that is woman spelled W-O-M-A-N-S wellnesscoach.com and follow the Instagram page at Coach Shalana. That is Coach S-H-A-L-O-N-N-A. I will place the information for the program in the show notes and also stay tuned to the podcast to learn more information and to stay updated. And listen, y'all, pray for your girl because as I mentioned earlier, I am scared, not scared, scared out here. (laughs) I've never had my own business. Nursing entrepreneurship is very new to me and I'm just stepping out on faith on this and I ask that you would pray for me as I embark on this journey. It is definitely a scary one, but I will do it afraid. I will do it afraid because I know this is something that is very necessary in our community. Now let's get into today's show. Today I have invited Dr. Jenna Hua on the show to discuss a very important topic that affects our everyday lives. We are going to talk about how common things in our environment can affect fertility, gynecological health, and the health of our families. I learned so much from Dr. Hewa during this conversation, and I can truly say that it really created an awareness for me, and it inspired me to make healthy changes. 
and become more intentional when I am purchasing cosmetic items or even home good items. And I cannot wait for you to learn and be inspired as well. So without further ado, here is the conversation. Hi, Dr. Jenna. Thank you so much for choosing the eavesdrop platform to discuss a very important topic, which I think doesn't really get a lot of attention. We are going to talk about how things in our environment have an impact on our overall health, as well as our reproductive health. And I'm so glad that you chose to be with us to to discuss this important topic today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I love the name of the podcast and I love the work you do. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, uh, the awareness of these chemicals of environmental exposures are still relatively low in the general public, but they're so important in terms of our health and how to optimize our health mm-hmm. and how to do prevention and how to really take actions, take actions into our own hand to really Mm -hmm. prevent diseases or maintain good health and optimize health. Right, right. And I'm just excited that you're here to have this conversation and I'm ready to just dig right into it. But before we get into it, I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself because you're doing some wonderful things and I want the audience to know more about you and what you're doing. Thank you. So my name is Jenna. I was trained as a dietitian and an environmental health scientist. It was through my academic research and my personal experiences that led me to start this company called Million Marker. At Million Marker, we created and provide a direct-to-consumer environmental toxin test for now that we test for common everyday chemicals in your everyday products from personal care to household product to plastics. The goal is to provide this test, allowing people to understand their own exposure, what's really learning, what's really inside of them, and then providing actionable results and then providing guidance to allow people to reduce exposures. And of course, everyone has a story and a reason behind their passion for what they do. So what ignited your passion for the work you are currently doing? First, it was because of my research. So I was training environmental epidemiology. So what we do back then is do a lot of really good exposure assessment. What that means is, you know, if I want to understand your exposure, I would pair you with the latest technology using your phone to do the tracking, pair you with a portable air quality monitor, and to just to understand what you're exposed to. Because we know environment actually attribute to more than 70% of your chronic disease risk versus 30% by genetics. So, you know, you can't really change your genes, but you can really control your environment. So that's what I studied. But what I realized during my study is that, you know, given you and I have the same exposure, because we have different genetics, we would respond very differently inside of us. But there's no way to actually know, you know, regardless of how we do really precise external environmental exposure assessment, we still don't really know what's happening inside of us, really personalize that. And we have no data. To study this. So it was a frustration out of my research that, you know, this day and age where you can test your genetics left and right, whereas you can't really do much about it. But the environment, which attributes so much more to health 
yet we don't really, first of all, we don't really know what's going on inside of our body. And the second, we don't really have any tools to even understand that, which is like really, really crazy. So that was sort of my academic frustration that we don't really have the data. We don't really have the tools to really understand how does our gene interact with our environment and how does disease actually happens and how do we um, understand these exposure and take action to control the exposure then we can prevent disease. So that's like the frustration for my academic research. And on the personal side, I had a lot of fertility struggles. After four super late stage miscarriages, I was just told good luck next time. And that was very unsatisfying. And, you know, I did all the tests that's possible from genetics to all the biomarkers, everything. And doctors still couldn't figure out what's going on with me. And because I studied environmental exposure, so I have always wondered, okay, could this be, you know, from my past exposure or my current exposure, it's triggering something that makes me almost like allergic to pregnancy. But when I went to the doctor, all they told me is that, okay, the only test available is heavy metal. There, there's nothing else. But I know, you know, we've been literally doing biomonitoring, which is, which is tracking and monitoring of all chemical exposures done by the Center for Disease Control and CDCs. And and I know these tests exist. However, it's not really accessible to the public, which is really, really crazy. You know, we literally mm -hmm. have been studying these chemicals literally for 40, 50 years. We know they're harmful, but no, first of all, not many people know about it. And then even for me as a scientist, even I know about it, I still don't have access to it to really understand like, what is my exposure? Can, you know, when I'm going through my struggles, can I rule out that this is my problem? You know, I just wanted to get it, first of all, like, is this the reason? And then second is, if it's not the reason, could I get a sense of assurance that, okay, I can move beyond this point that this is not something that I can, I need to worry about. Yeah, there's like nothing available. So kind of combining my academic frustration and my personal experience, I felt there's a need to providing a personalized test, allowing people to understand their exposures. And then second, to really translating a science and then promoting the awareness so then people can understand you know what's going on inside of their body what are the exposures and how can they take control of and then preventing these harmful exposures yeah i really agree with you because as a healthcare provider there are so many genetic tests that you can do to see if someone is at risk for certain hereditary cancers mm -hmm. or hereditary disorders. And the genes will tell us a lot about those things, but there's no genetic test to tell you how likely you are to become sick mm -hmm. um, from common things that we are exposed to in our community. And, you know, just like you said, if you know better, you're able to do better. Mm -hmm. And um, just from your expertise and from the research that you have done, what are some environmental products that you feel interfere with fertility and pregnancy? You've already mentioned that you were told that heavy metals was the only test that they can test you for. So we know heavy metal might be part of that. But what are some other things that you may have come across? So there's study? a whole class of chemicals. We call them hormone disrupting chemicals or endocrine disrupting chemicals. Um, fun, you know, the meaning of like hormone, you know, if people don't understand what hormone is, hormone literally, they're like signaling molecules in your body. They literally controls every single bodily function you have from your sleep, your metabolism, your weight. 
your mood, everything is controlled by hormones. So they're really, really important. The other point is that hormone, they act in such tiny amount. Think about like one drop of water in 25 Olympic size swimming pool. That's how much it requires for a hormone to cause an impact to, to alter your body body functions. So hormones are really, really important. So hormone disrupting, chemical disrupting, meaning they mess with your hormones. So, you know, this whole class of chemical, basically when you get ex exposed to them, they alter your hormone signaling or making your hormone not acting normal. So then it causes downstream impact. And fertility is one of the major impact we have seen when people are exposed or animals are are exposed to these hormone disrupting chemicals. So it's a, it's a whole class of chemicals. And this is besides some, many of the heavy metals are also hormone disrupting chemicals, but this class is organic. A lot of them are synthetic. And this whole class of chemicals are many times our people are not aware of. And then the second is there's like complete lack of regulation on these chemicals. So we're just constantly being exposed to them. And that's something that we're, we're really worried about. And that's something that public are not generally aware of. Do you have any examples of yes. some of the hormone disrupting chemicals? Yes. <laughs> so the, the poster child of uh, uh, hormone disrupting or endocrine disrupting chemical, we call them EDCs, um, is BPA. So many people have heard of BPA, BPA. BPA have, you know, when I ask people when or how do they know about BPA and people always say, because I see my cans or I see my uh, water bottle labeled BPA-free. So BPA is a chemical that's making plastic shatterproof. It's also used to make epoxy linings or coating. So when we talk about BPA exposure, a lot of time people are exposed to BPA through eating canned food because the canned food lining are usually lined with BPA. Seat paper oftentimes is also the ink printing the receipt paper is also made of BPA. So we always tell people, hey, you know, if you get a receipt, try not to touch your receipt, have your receipt emailed to you. That's another major exposure. And then the last thing is because they're, they're like, is a major plasticizer has been used to make plastic. So avoiding plastic, avoiding that plastic water bottle, that's like number one. Now there's also issue, you know, when you see BPA free, thanks to the conscious mothers that BPA has been actually be banned for over a decade now in children's product. However, manufacturers, chemical companies have gotten smarter too. Once BPA has been banned, they have developed alternative chemicals such as BPS and BPF. They can literally swap out a letter. You can have a new molecule from BPA all the way to BPZ or any combination of the alphabet. And these alternative chemicals are just as bad as BPA. So one strategy we always tell people is, okay, if you can avoid plastic, try to avoid plastic because you don't really know what that plastic is made of. And then second is if people actually heat up plastic or keep drinking from that plastic water bottle, they would get the exposure, whether you get BPA exposure or other kind of bisphenol, the alternative BPA exposure, you would get them. So what are some alternatives that women can use that may not include BPA? Because you know, we love our bottled water because it's so convenient. Yes, it's so convenient. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. The best way is to bring your own water bottle. That's like the number one. Um, have a stainless steel water bottle or glass water bottle. And then when you drink out of a cup, use ceramic, we use glass or use stainless steel. 
just try to avoid plastic as much as possible. I know it's like, you know, we have this such complicated relationship with plastic. We can't completely get rid of them, but it's really important for people to try to avoid it as much as possible. Especially, you know, if you store your food in a plastic Tupperware, like please never ever microwave that plastic Tupperware because the heat actually increases the release of, of this chemical, you know? And we always tell people, if you do a kitchen detox, first thing to do is get rid of your plastic Tupperware, get glass or get stainless steel, because also plastic Tupperware doesn't last as long. You know, you end up like using them for a little while and you have to throw them out versus if you actually have a glass, yes, they're a little bit heavier, but they're actually much better for you and much better for the environment. So that's like a number one. Um, and then also, I often see people, you know, they buy a whole case of bottled water from Costco or from, you know, a grocery store. And then they store that pack in the car. And then your car would be like baked in the sun, right? So the temperature really release, like increase the release of plastic chemicals. So, and then you drink that water, which is baked in the sun, bottled water, and then you just get all these exposures, which you, you really don't need to have that exposure. I mean, for emergency situations, yes, you need to drink that bottled water. Water is essential, it's important, but you do what you can. So another thing is like, whenever we talk about these environmental chemicals, people often also get overwhelmed. Like we don't want people to get overwhelmed. You need to learn this. And then as you, you know, you go step by step, learning more, as you mentioned before, you can't really unlearn it. Once you learn it, you will, you know, you will constantly remind yourself, oh, hey, this is, not something that I should be doing because it's not really good for my health. Yeah. And I think it's hard to unlearn it because people don't realize the harmful side effects of normal behaviors, because mm -hmm. a lot of us will go and buy a case of water and leave it in our car because we don't feel like carrying it in the house. I am very guilty. <laughs> and I've been told several times by my mother, you need to go get those, um, water bottles out of your car because you know with the heat it does break down yes. the plastic yeah and when we talk about water bottles that makes me think about other household products and groceries that we usually buy out of the store um, what household products and groceries are considered safe to use or what are some that may not be considered so safe to purchase so I think the rule of, of thumb is if you can buy something that's not a plastic packaging, that's generally better. So, you know, if I buy a carton of milk or I buy, you know, bottled anything, I try to choose glass over other materials. And then same thing, like I try not to eat too much TV dinner because they're in that plastic, right? Fr frozen. And then you put in the microwave. So I try not to do that. When I go grocery shopping, we also always recommend people to bring their own grocery storage bag to, or your shopping bag. So then you just avoid that plastic exposure. But I know since COVID happened, that we're literally backtracked another 20 years that, you know, people stop using their own grocery storage bag, grocery bag, and then they just get plastic bag. So now as we, you know, moving out of COVID, and I think this is something that people should practice, bring your own bag store your your food in a you know in a in a reusable grocery storage bag you can choose like cotton uh, organic cotton or one of those muslin bags so that's like usually what we recommend and at home you know in a kitchen another really common thing that we see people using is the syringe wrap 
And if you think about it, like I, I also also see people store their their food in plastic Tupperware, put saran wrap on top of that Tupperware, send it to the microwave to prevent splashing. But then, like when your food contact with that flexible plastic, it's introducing another chemical besides BPA. This is a chemical we can talk about, which is phthalates. Phthalates is actually it's another hormone disrupting chemical. It's used also as a major plasticizer to make plastic really flexible. So we often recommend people to use a bee wax wrap, even though you can't really microwave that bee wax wrap, use, you know, a plate on top of your food instead of, you know, any wrap. But when you put it in the storage, you can use a bee wax wrap, which is reusable. You can simply use like so soapy water to clean it. And then you can use it over and over again. So that's another source of exposure from our kitchen and sort of food. Uh, and then the last thing I want to also say is water is actually also another big exposure where people would get heavy metal or these called PFAS chemical. People have heard about, you know, the forever chemical in the news. So we always recommend people to have a water filter at home. So any water filter is better than no water filter, but you can actually get your hands on a reverse osmosis water filter. That's sort of a cash to all water filter. That's generally better. Okay. And these water filters, where can people usually find them easily? Is it something you can purchase out of the grocery store or do you have to go online to order them? I think you can... Grocery stores sometimes will have these Brita filter. So Brita filter doesn't filter everything. And then oftentimes they're also made of plastic, even though Brita did say they're the BPA-free and DPS-DPF-free plastic. Reverse osmosis water filter, generally you probably have to buy it online. There might be some local stores you can buy, but I pretty much got mine online. And many of my peers and many friends and family, they also got it on online. They tend to be a little more expensive. They go under the sink rather, rather than a countertop, but they last for a while. And then it's sort of a catch-all water filter. The other thing is, you know, different states actually have different regulations and standards for water. And some states are better and some states are not as good. That's why across the board, we always recommend people to have a, a water filter. Right, exactly. And... Going back to the plastic, because I want to clarify something, because I think a lot of us are really big consumers for Tupperware. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying plastic, I was thinking Tupperware, and I meant to ask you about it. So with Tupperware, it's best to use the glass Tupperware versus the plastic in home. Yes, you can also use stainless steel, but oftentimes stainless steel, we don't want people to store really acidic food in it. So for example, like lemon juice or like tomato juice, that's like sour and acidic. You don't want to store in stainless steel because that could increase the release of potential metals or any other metals into your food, which is not good. So I would say glass is probably the safest one to go. You can pretty much store anything in glass. Could I add two other tips that I forgot to mention? Yeah. So the two parts I want to mention when, you know, when we talk about plastic, I didn't mention before is that not all plastics are created equal. So it's always mm -hmm. good to check out that recycling symbol in that triangle underneath the Tupperware or underneath any plastic. One, two, and five are generally better plastic than three, four, six, and seven. So it's named between one to seven. 
So one, two, five are generally better. And those one, two, five are also recyclable plastic versus three, four, six, seven are not even recyclable. And they're generally made of worse material, particularly seven. Seven is pretty much other. It's like a lump it all kind of category. Uh, and the one area that I have seen, which is really surprising, you know, we all love our coffee and latte. We go to that Starbucks and then buy that cup of coffee, right? And the cup, which is now a lot of people use paper cup and, but the, the lid is still plastic. And one time I went to the small coffee shop and I, I checked out that lid and that lid is numbered number seven. So that means I have this hot liquid I'm drinking out of that lid. And that lid, when it's labeled number seven, for sure, it's going to have either BPA or phthalates. And then when you drink that hot liquid from that lid, you're getting the exposure. So now when I go to coffee shop, I never ask for the lid. I just drink it from the cup. Yeah. So that's like a one interesting aspect when it comes to plastic, because not mm -hmm. all of them are created equal. Right. And just to clarify, the number you will find on the product itself. Yes. So it's the recycling symbol in that little triangle on the bot. Usually it's on the bottom or somewhere it's usually labeled. Check out that number before you, you, you know, you buy something plastic or use in general, it should be like, yeah, it should be one, two and five, but many times it, it would still be labeled three, six or three, four, six or seven. And then three, four, six or seven, it's like way worse. That is good information to know, because I know a lot of us has probably seen that little triangle and yes. didn't know why it was there. <laughs> so yes, now it, we know and we can be a little bit more conscious of what we're doing. Exactly. Yeah. The the other thing is when people are, you know, another major exposure besides food is from our personal care product or household products. And then the number one rule of avoiding these chemical, particularly phthalates, is choose fragrance-free option. Phthalates, besides being used in plastic, it's also a chemical used to make that fragrance stick onto you for a lot longer. It's also, it's a, one of the ingredients for making fragrance. So we always recommend people to go fragrance-free. Yes, you might like that nice smell, but you're literally getting the exposure. That smell is no good for you. And also now manufacturers have been using, you know, aroma instead of fragrance so don't get fooled that <laughs> aroma is exactly the same thing as fragrance and even unscented unscented is actually a scent so don't get fooled always go with the fragrance free option so what you're saying is no bath and body works no victoria's secret no no giorgio amani <laughs> no i'm sorry yeah <laughs> You know, those products, like, before I know better, I use a lot of those, like, you know, in back in high school, that's like every, every girl used it, but, yes. but the issue is these products are, they're pretty bad. They're pretty bad that we should not be using it. Yeah, that's going to take, and I know for myself and many women who are listening, that's probably going to take a lot of training yes. to do because it's a routine. Yes. You get up in the morning, you take a shower, you put on your clothing for work, and then you just spray to make sure, you know, you're you're smelling nice before you walk out the door. And, and so that's, that's going to take a lot of undoing. But like I said earlier, when you know better, you will do better. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have another question. <laughs> So canned goods, canned goods, I, even as a young child, I call me bougie. I don't know what you want to call me. I never liked anything in a can because I just feel it's just, 
not natural you know it doesn't taste good (laughs) and it doesn't taste good either (laughs) and it doesn't seem natural to have something just sitting there in a can for for days and days and days and days until someone actually purchases it but for those people because there are some people who can only afford you know the canned goods because to buy fresh produce these days and frozen produce can be very expensive and then some people like canned good items and some will resort to canned good items is this a bad thing or a good thing is canned good good or bad I would say still limit your consumption of canned food because of the BPA or BPA alternative that used to line the can. We haven't seen any super good material to line the can with so far. And many times manufacturers don't really disclose that information, what's being used to line that can. So if you eat a lot of canned food, you always have that risk of getting exposed to these chemicals. And not just that. And as you mentioned, like, you know, you have literally like kind of fresh food, right? Like in that can, but stored for a long time. And that means that requires a lot of preservative in that can. So same as other packaged good, that's another area that we always recommend people, if you can cook at home, always trying to eat in and eat less packaged food because of the preservative that has been added to packaged food or canned food. And many times these preservative use that can also be a hormone disruptor, which brings me to this other hormone disruptor, very, very common called parabens. So parabens are usually used as antimicrobial or used as preservatives. They actually have been putting packaged food, except on the product label, it doesn't even label as paraben. It's labeled as hydroxybenzoic acid, which is something that people don't really, you know, nobody is training like a chemist to recognize that this is a hormone disrupting chemical, but it's actually used, often used as preservatives. And if you eat a lot of canned food, if you eat a lot of packaged food, you would get that exposure. So if you can try not to eat it, but if obviously it's limited, if you're limited with resources, that's the only thing you have access to, then obviously survival is more important than getting this exposure, right? But if you have the ability to eliminate and you know eating whether frozen frozen produce or other ways that have shopped for for fresh produce i would choose those options rather than can yeah and so more research is supporting the fact that talcum powders are contributing to some cases of ovarian cancer and cosmetic products such as hair relaxers mm-hmm. are being researched now to show that it, it can cause uterine fibroids yep. and other GYN or reproductive issues. What other environmental factors are related to the development of GYN cancers or disorders that you have come across in your research? Well, we're talking about all this, this whole class of hormone disruptors, like the ones I just mentioned from BPA to phthalates to paraben. Another one is oxybenzone, which is less studied than, you know, BPA and phthalates, but it's also another hormone disruptor that's usually using chemical sunblocks. This chemical has actually been banned in Hawaii because it, it kills the coral reef. But, you know, oftentimes I always tell people if something kills the aquatic life, 
kills marine life, it can't be good for humans. So that's another chemical we already have seen a ton of research. And the other thing is, yes, you mentioned that the, these impact, you know, uterine issues that pertain to female, but all of these chemicals actually impact male as well. You know, when we talk about reproductive health, when we talk about conception, it takes two to tango. So, and oftentimes I also felt that we always talk about female issues. We don't really talk about male issues, but it could be the, the male factor. And these chemical impact males just as much as the females. Yeah, that is a good point that you bring up because if we're going to talk about fertility, we have to include men as well too because they are part of the, the reproduction cycle and things within their environment mm -hmm. impact semen quality as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, when two partners living together, you know, they also share the same environment. Mm -hmm. um, they could be sharing the same personal care product. They share all the kitchen product they eat together, right? They would have really, mm -hmm. really similar exposures. And I know okay. like many females are sort of the gatekeeper, health gatekeeper of the family. So we're always mm -hmm. like super happy to get all our like uh, ladies to, uh, you know, educated so then they can actually help the entire family to, to reduce their exposures. Now, are there any resources you could recommend that ind individuals and families can use to help guide them when they are trying to be health conscious? Like, are there any apps, courses online that can be explored? We actually have a ton of resources on our website because one of the mission for Million Marker is to get public educated, especially for people who are thinking about conception or Getting, getting pregnant, stay pregnant, or postpartum, we have created a ton of content hub around fertility. And um, in terms of product to use, information from water filter to whatever chemicals, to kitchenware, to silicone bags. So there's a lot of information on our website. I recommend people to check it out. We don't have app. We do, I mean, we do have an app, but that's, that's paired with the tests that we provide. But for informational app, there's actually several out there. One of them is the EWG's Healthy Living app. Um, it's a little bit hard to understand, in my opinion. And then the information sometimes is out, out of date. And then some of the uh, questions we have gotten from our customers or from our supporter is that they think the information is still really hard to understand. So that's another goal for us is to make sure the information is easily understandable. So then people can actually understand what's going on, not just the science, but also very actionable, what you can do with these exposures, what kind of product to choose, what are the good products that, that you can choose that's free of these hormone disrupting chemicals. Now, how can others follow you and your work? So people can check us out on our website, which is www.millionmarker.com. We're pretty active on social media. Our Instagram handle is million underscore marker. We often interview health experts like you because, you know, health is not just about endocrine disrupting chemicals. There's so many different factors. It's mental health, it's gut health, it's sleep, it's exercise, it's nutrition. There are so many things. So we often do a lot of informational Instagram live on using our handle on our platform. And we also trying to do a lot of education around environmental chemicals and also around products. So people definitely check us out. And if you have any questions, also sign up to our newsletter. We'll drop us a message. We're always happy to answer any questions.
Okay, awesome. And finally, is there a quote or a book that has inspired your journey through life or has inspired your career choice? I always love this quote, uh, which is kind of describing, almost describing what we do. And, and I want people to understand is like how important environment is, which is genetic loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. That is a powerful quote and statement because a lot of our health is related to our environment. And so I love that. And I just want to thank you for joining me today and having this important topic. I am sure that somebody's life will be changed, that someone has received information that they probably had never heard of before. And that's what this podcast is all about. So thank you so much for joining me and, and being here. And I'm sure that we will connect again, because this is an important discussion that we should always be having. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Eavesdrop Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I pray that you learned something new. Be sure to tune in weekly for new episodes. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, please consider rating the show. Rating the show will make it more visible to women who may need to hear this information. Also, share the podcast with your friends and family. Keep in touch with the podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You may reach out to me at drshalanavattle at gmail.com for any questions, concerns, or if you want to suggest a show topic. Well, until the next episode, be well, be whole, and be blessed. Bye.